0: Welcome to Church Unboxed, where we tackle the topics that most Christians are sometimes too scared to talk about. Each week, together with guests, I'll be uncovering issues that have been swept under the rug and listening to people who not only have inspiring stories, but in many cases are the voice of the voiceless. I'm your host, Sarah Tabo, worship leader, singer and songwriter. Welcome with me, today's guest, Jeremy Neely. Jeremy Neely is one half of the faith-filled husband and wife country rock duo, Neely. Based in Music City in Nashville, Tennessee, the Neelys have taken their music and family about not only the US, but also Europe, the UK and South Africa. Now, despite growing up in a loving and stable Christian family, Jeremy fell into a pit of pain, rejection and substance abuse. Years later, after being confronted with his own mortality, he turned back to the faith of his childhood, finding joy and healing through a relationship with Christ. In this episode, we're going to find out where things went wrong, how things came back together, and what the church should be doing to support people where they're in need of help, particularly when it comes to substance abuse. Thank you, Jeremy, for joining us. and Welcome to Church Unboxed.
1: Well, thank you, Sarah. It's, It's a pleasure to be here
0: awesome before we go into the meat of the conversation i love to start with a a bit of an icebreaker and so i'm gonna ask you um hopefully you'll be able to answer this right off the bat but who's your favorite cartoon character and why
1: oh garfield (laughs) the cat all right cool (laughs) garfield the cat i for some reason i grew up with with him it's just that kind of that um that snarky sarcastic humor just yeah i get it
0: yeah yeah, yeah. we all love that don't we yeah he's just a quirky one and he's just yeah. a of himself as well garfield it's like he feels he's about to be fair i think most cats feel like they're the bosses of their owners anyway so <laughs> i think he speaks for all cats when he does that so that's also awesome. that's really really cool and um so you're in a band with your wife and uh, to many couples mm-hmm. this sounds like a recipe for disaster so how does that dynamic work for you both?
1: Well, I mean, this, this goes back to before we were ever dating or, or a quote unquote couple,
0: um,
1: we, we started out as friends, you know, sometimes people get the cart before the horse and, um, instead of becoming friends and letting that grow into, uh, into more, you know, in our, in our societies, I would say, uh, the U S as well as the UK, um, the way media depicts it, you know, it's uh, yeah. people fall into sex before they fall into love and um, friendship is the key. And so we right from the get go in our marriage, we uh, we work together as uh, I was a waiter and she was a waitress at a restaurant in nice. in Kansas. And um, so we've always worked together and and we really enjoy each other's company. We work well together. And so uh, that's kind of the basis of it. Yeah. And so you move into the music and it's just, uh, it was a natural fit. Absolutely. It was kind of like God ordained it or something,
0: you well, know? he did, didn't I, he? You think? It, yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. I think friendship is the underpinning ingredient, if you like, for a successful marriage. Because when all when all is said and done, when the kids have left, you know, and left the house and it's just the both of you. What do you have in common? I think that's where everything becomes a reality. You know, you could fill your lives with work and kids and church and everything. What it comes down to is the two of you. Are you friends? And I think it's really interesting that you started out as friends and you continue as friends, I guess. That's a, that's a brilliant testimony. So, um, yes. just yeah, reading and hearing about your story and your journey as a Christian at the start, the middle and obviously where you are now. A lot of people, I find, turn away from God and some people turn away from the church. So what was it for you? Was it God? Was it the church? Or was it both?
1: Um, For me turning away again, to give a little background um, I've always sensed God's presence in my life, even at the age of three, um, when I was at this concert, uh, my parents took me to a country concert. Even I remember this clear as day, even now, um, Mm -hmm. I remember knowing this is what I'm going to do. This is what God built me to do. Even at three years of age, I remember having that thought wow. and, uh, and I always felt God's presence and his hand on me through my life as a young man, uh, a young child into a young man. Mm-hmm. For me, the, uh, the walking away process was born out of deep emotional hurts. Right. right. Um, by the church, at, meaning the church as the organization, yeah. uh there was some kind of church split in my teenage years. This little country church out in the middle of nowhere um, that was my family, wow. you know because we were we were there all the time. My yeah. parents were very active in the church, and uh and and still to this day, nobody can really tell me what caused this church split it's just it just happened. Yeah, it just happened, and so we went from people that I saw as as almost like grandparents or aunts and uncle figures, family mm-hmm. in my life. All of a sudden, I can no longer um, I can no longer talk to them, or if I do approach them, then they kind of just give me this blank stone wall, uh, because my parents are on the other, the other side, side of this faction or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And so I just remember uh, thinking to myself, if if this is what this Jesus stuff is all about, I want nothing to do with it. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. And that's, uh, that's when I walked, I just walked away.
0: So basically, it sounds to me like you were disappointed in the people, but equally disappointed in the institution of church almost.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact... Um, I, I would say this I don't know if this is a common like a common phrase in in the UK
0: mm-hmm.
1: some of my Americanisms may not come across Fair
0: enough. <laughs> but
1: um uh I I literally like many people around the world I threw the baby out with the bathwater, mm. so to speak yeah, yeah, yeah. um I that here as well. <laughs> yeah and so I I'm glad that I'm glad that 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 worked out because sometimes yeah. I say some of these Americanisms and they, I'm like Weird? what yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. but uh yeah I I let other people dictate my relationship with God which mm-hmm. when you say it on the side of the hurt it sounds extremely foolish but when you're in the midst of the hurt yeah, um, yeah I mean we've all been hurt and we all know how that goes yeah. it's it's deep
0: it's interesting you'd say um, your experience of um, feeling disappointed in the church came from church hurt because we live in an age where, especially uh, amongst the millennials, a lot of young people feel church feel hurt by the church, whether it's because their past was involved in a scandal or you know financial abuse or spiritual abuse. And before we even kind of go into your story with um, substance abuse, it would be interesting to to kind of see your thoughts on how you feel church hurt is affecting young people today and given how that caused you to obviously not just stray but do a a lot of other things you're going to tell us a bit more in detail about it'd be interesting to know what you think about how church hurt is affecting young people today from your observations
1: yeah well i think i mean this this will go this this foundation right here will follow us through the rest of the conversation Mm. even when we get into those those dicey topics that yeah, the church yeah, yeah. tends to um, to cover up. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a couple things that I oh, that I've learned to set as my standard. Number one is that Jesus is my filter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus is my filter in which I see Scripture. The way I perceive and read Scripture, whether that be the Old Testament or the New Testament, yeah. um, Jesus is the filter in which I see um view life and then that statement moves into my second point that I try to uh, approach life life with is um, Jesus clearly stated it all boils down to this love your Lord your God with all your heart soul strength and mind and it's implied in there when you get to this place or as your journey into this place then the second commandment is love your neighbor or love other people Mm -hmm. as much as you love yourself. Mm. Uh, I have, like many other people, a deep, deep, deep love for myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just being (laughs) brutally honest. If we all are brutally honest, we would say that. And so um, I just want to set that as kind of the framework of where we're coming at this from. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about church hurts and how it's affecting this generation, Mm. I think it's because we as the church have circled up and we're playing this game, if you will. Um, And it's a selfish game. It's Mm. the music I want, or it's the style of teaching I want, or it's um, whatever, fill in the blank X that I want. and, And the masks go up because we're playing this pretty game and we're not approachable. Um, We're a tad bit judgmental because when the masks go up and you're holding tight to all these things that you hold dear, um, you're in a very selfish state and self-righteousness abounds. (laughs) So, I, I mean, that's, we, we could probably unpack this for hours and never really scratch the surface, but um, I think a lot of it is is that um, the loving other people around you as much as you love yourself, that deep, deep, deep love that can only come from the Father himself is not very present in our lives, and thus it's not very present collectively as the church. Or mm-hmm. as the body of Christ, yeah. and that's why you're seeing a generation that is looking for love. As we as we come out of the month of June, which in America is uh, "quote unquote" Pride Month, pride month where they in
0: the UK as well,
1: yeah, where yeah. they sling around the term "love is love," and um, they they are just they're looking for love. They're looking for a deeper connection that yeah. that every soul is yearning for. And unfortunately, because we're in a selfish state in the church, they're not they're not finding that connection.
0: That's really, really sad. That is sad. So you feel like the, well, to be fair, going back to your story of the, the church splitting up, if you put that in perspective and look at it through the filter that you look at everything through, the love element is probably missing. Because if it was, somehow there would have been a way of, you know, having a middle ground or at least analyzing what the impact of a split could be you know to the people but i guess that's what what, dozens of years ago so probably (laughs) that ship is probably sailed by now but it's interesting i think everything being looked at through the lens of love um is very critical so um rejection can be a very painful experience um do you feel like churches are preparing people to deal with the disappointments and pain that um we will definitely inevitably face in the real world
1: do you think? Oh, that's a that's another very tough. You're good at very tough questions <laughs> <laughs> that don't have simple answers. I
0: oh,
1: um, um, Yeah i I have often said um, so. So discipleship is kind of one of those terms that's very thrown around the, the church globally. I'm sure it's thrown around the uh, in the UK as well yeah. within the church. And I've come to an understanding that um, because the root word of discipleship is discipline, disciplining ourselves after someone or something. Mm. um, A lot of people in the church say that discipleship is Mm. not happening. And I beg to differ. Discipleship Mm. is very much happening. It's a matter of what are we discipling people after? Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you see somebody that has their mask on and they look like they're an amazing couple and, um, Mm. and yet their kids are falling apart or they Mm. come to church, you see them come to church and they go to youth group and they say all the right Jesus answers. And yet when you see them at school or out with their friends, you know, they're drinking or they have drug problems or Mm. they're perhaps even in sexual relationships already. Mm -hmm. And you're wondering how, how does this happen? It's because. That is the discipleship that has taken place. They've learned from the people around them in their church community that it's okay to act Christian when you're around Christian things or when it's Mm. proper and it's okay to act as the world would act in these other situations. Um, So I don't, to, to try to get back around, I just don't think that we're discipling this generation after Jesus Christ, right, right, right. Um, because that is not present in our lives, hmm. and uh, that's very. I say that, and it's very convicting to me, even right now as I yeah. say that. Um, and so, if we're not if we're not discipling them after Jesus Christ, um, how can we ever expect them to handle rejection?
0: Yeah, this is it. This is it because it's inevitable, you know, it's something that you're definitely going to face in the real world, which actually kind of, I mean, still in keeping with that theme, kind of gives us a segue into your story because, you know, you had that painful, life defining moment where you were like, okay, I can't handle this. There's a lot of, you know, hypocrisy, two facedness in church, and I'm just going to go away. So, I mean, how was it for you? What was it that, um, I know it was triggered by the splits, but and you just didn't want to have anything to do with church. But what was it that led you down the route of the substance and and, and substance abuse as well? Because one would have thought, well, yeah, the church, you know, broke apart. Hey ho, you know. But for you, it was it was a, it had a deeper impact. So, just tell us a bit about your story off the back of um, your disappointments in the church.
1: So, so whenever you whenever you experience a, a hurt, everybody handles hurt differently. Absolutely. Um for me, I'm one of the people that I I kind of stuff it down and hurt. Um, hurt starts to take root and grow into anger. Right. Um, I know a lot of men um, mm. struggle with that. Um, hurt manifests itself as anger. We're not really angry um, at the people that we're lashing out or the things that we're lashing out at. We're just deeply hurt and wounded, mm. and that's just a manifestation. And so part of what happened to me is uh, just how I handle hurt. So as a young man, I was not equipped with the life skills um, through discipleship to know how to handle these things. And of course the discipleship that, that I had seen and was taking place in my life was to be divided and to fight for, your side and, um, and to lash out and all these and to hold grudges and all these other things that, you know, that's, that's what you're seeing when you see a church split or when you see people acting that way. And that's the discipleship that I had in my life. So, Mm. um, it just made me a very confused, very angry young man. And Mm. so I, I started running off with my friends more and I started to, um, I started to drink mm-hmm. uh, I let I let those hurts take me away from what I was told was true, and I entered into a sexual relationship with a young lady and and of course, it's like it's like when you're out in a field in a car and you hit a mud patch and your wheel starts spinning mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you don't want to keep the gas on mm-hmm. because what's going to happen is the wheel is just going to continue to dig deeper in that mud right. and you're going to yeah. be more stuck. And that's the, what I'm telling you right now. And these few things is I was stuck and everything that I was trying to do was just me pushing the gas all the way down to the floor and just digging the wheel of my life deeper into sin. Right. And, um, and it's just this manic thing that just keeps digging you in deeper. And so, uh, I used alcohol and later um, drugs to numb life, to numb the pain because I didn't want to mm. face what I had done. Because I knew, I knew that I hurt that young lady, and and because of the way I was raised to be very, um, I, I, I've got a big heart. So, um, you know the the movie, the Pixar movie Up. My yeah, yeah. girls laugh at me because. <laughs> um, I'm already a sobbing mess, like oh, no. five minutes into that movie because I just have a big soft heart and oh, I've wow. always, I was just raised that way from, from, I mean, a sad commercial on TV, <laughs> a sad advertisement will make me cry.
0: Oh, dear.
1: Um, so not only did I know that I hurt that young lady, I knew that I was causing pain for her future husband. Mm, wow. and uh,
0: I and i
1: was dishonoring my family and so i i consciously knew these things mm. um but yet i self medicated with alcohol and drugs which numbed the pain it also lowered my inhibitions so then i entered into more activities that created mm. more pain and it's mm. you can just see the sick cycle, cycle yeah. and it's just digging me deeper into that mud pit
0: wow and in, in all of this, what was like your lowest point and your turning points that made you go, Do you know what, like the prodigal son, I'm going back.
1: Um, that was in ne- December of 1999. Mm. Um, Casey and I had been married for four years at that point. We were married in 1996. And um, here I am. I were, our marriage is almost over. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm angry. She's hurt. Um, because there's a lot of baggage that came into our Mm. marriage because we both decided to listen to the world rather than God's word. Mm. And, uh, that just compounded the hurt, the anger, the substance abuse, uh, which led into verbal abuse and all these horrible things. And Mm. so our marriage is just hanging by a thin thread And so I'm about ready to lose my best friend Hmm. and, um, and all of a sudden her uncle who to kind of back up her family accepted me in as one of their own. I have some amazing in-laws and my extended family on her side is, is just amazing. Right. And her uncle at 52 years of age, just, um, died in his sleep. Oh dear. And so that, that just, um, sent me reeling, um, what is after this life, Mm. uh, where did he go at Mm. that point? Because I knew enough of us being, you know, sentient beings, like it can't just be black void, like over at that point. And uh, and so it got me searching. And of course, because of my hurt, I searched everywhere else first. I, Christianity was the last place oh, that I yeah. was going to look. Um, and <laughs> do it, you it, do you mind it had Some
0: of the things you found for those who may be considering going down those routes so they don't even bother. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see compared uh, to Christianity, just the snippets of what you found.
1: Well, it was, it was 20 some years ago. Right. So I, I don't remember a lot of the details, but mm-hmm. to give you a little bit of background on who I am in 1998, I earned my bachelor of science degree from university in computer science. Right. So I am very much a one and zero kind of guy to <laughs> coin the computer science <laughs> phrase it's either Fair on enough. or off and right, right,
0: right, you create
1: point. truth tables and logic and algorithms it all
0: has to make sense basically
1: it all has to make sense mm. and uh and so as i looked through a lot of mis- uh, eastern mysticism. mysticism and new age stuff um even some of the some of the stuff from from Central Asia, you know, you're talking to Islam and and some of the, the other stuff like that. It just wow. historically, archaeologically, um, all the physical things they just didn't add up.
0: Right.
1: It just there there wasn't there wasn't enough to support it. And then uh, one night I was watching um, TBN and. There was a show by a, he's an author and a pastor, and I think he's since deceased. But his name was Grant Jeffries, right. and he has a book out, and it was also a TV show called "Signatures of God." And he would go through archaeological and scientific mm. discoveries that are rooted in God's Word, and so he just starts unpacking Genesis through Job and and beyond, and just showing like. This, is, this, is, the real this is a true historical account yeah. preserved supernaturally. Wow. And, and that won my mind because that very scientific, very logical. And so I had no choice at that point to let my, my heart then open up to Jesus Christ and the truth of, mm. of him being the son of God.
0: That's amazing. That is a really, really amazing yeah. thing. So how did you find coming back into church? Did you just, you know, say, OK, I'm going back in, I'm going to give my life? Or did you carry on in private until because I know with church hurts, the last thing you want to do is go back into the building. You don't know what one to go to, who to trust. So how was it like for you? You know, because I, I would imagine you probably be like, well, I'm just going to read my Bible and pray to God at home. What was it? What was your story like going back in?
1: i I had no problems going back to church, but I mm. definitely had huge walls up and I had mm. attitudes in certain areas mm. um, you know the attitude is just um is just another form of wall really mm, yeah. and so I had all kinds of emotional walls up uh to guard me from those hurts mm. because i I realized even at that point because I had done enough um uh, I had taken it logically to the end that I had realized even at that point in my life that I had thrown the baby out with the bathwater yeah, yeah. and I was not going to let those around me dictate my relationship mm. with God, even though we're coming into to fellowship and communion and, uh, together, um, I would just, I would cling to those around me that, that we're running hard after Jesus. Yeah,
0: yeah. Which is the way to go, isn't it? That's that's the ideal. Yes. Yeah. That's
1: yes. Awesome. But I can also say that at that point in my life, um, I had no understanding. And I would even still say that my understanding 20 years later is very thin in terms of the enormity and the magnitude of God and, and his true love for us. Oh, yeah. But uh even then I was... I was such an infant in the faith that uh, my understanding of what love is, um, yeah, I I was very immature and I I handled so many situations horribly.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, that that is really interesting. And in terms of you know your story, because you started out as a Christian and then you have the episode of substance abuse. Presumably, when you came back to the faith you just went cold turkey. What was it like for you coming off the alcohol and the drugs and the things that you Oh,
1: well, this is kind of the embarrassing side of the story and the realistic side of the story is that, um, you know, I, I, I love the stories. I absolutely love the stories of people that, that give their heart to Jesus. And at that very moment, the Lord's, the Lord sees, sees um, it, as benefit to just completely heal those people right away. Mm-hmm. Um, my story is not that story. Mm-hmm. And uh, very real, the real truth about addiction is that it is, it is a shackle that is not bound just physically. It is shackles to your soul. Mm-hmm. And I thought, so we were baptized in the, in July of 2000 and, I did not come free of my addictions to substances. And I say that uh, very pointedly, addictions to substance, because I still was addicted to anger and Mm -hmm. and other things in my life beyond that, that that the Lord worked on. But it was 2004 that I was Mm -hmm. free of my addiction to substance. Mm -hmm. Um, Even in, even in ministry, Um, I, the Lord called us in 2001 to start a music ministry and to start doing worship and, um, Mm -hmm. and just the cycle of failure and relapses from 2001 to 2004 was just, uh, uh, it's embarrassing to talk about, but it's real, Mm -hmm. it's reality. And a lot of people, I think a few people really knew that I was still struggling, but they kept throwing me into service because they wanted me to have Mm -hmm. value in the kingdom instead of shunning me, which mm. largely that's what the church does, is when you have a relapse or you fall into certain sin that has a certain high price tag to it, mm-hmm. um, we shun people instead of uh, loving them through it and trying to help them uh,
0: that's a very restore valid themselves. Yeah, that's a very valid point you've raised because I think the uh, the church is kind of divided when it comes to the topic of whether or not to have especially seeing as people knew you, I don't know how, but somehow they knew you had um, you were struggling with substance abuse. And, you know, the church community is usually divided on whether or not to have such individuals serve. Some churches would blatantly be like, no, we can't have them. whether the young people going to do? They're going to think it's okay to, you know, take alcohol or whatever. Um, but others are like, yeah, there's grace, you know, let them serve. And, and over the course of time, they'll change. And there's another group that are like, yeah, let's put them there so that they feel pressured to stop you know that's the other extreme (laughs) is like (laughs) when they see themselves coming on stage and having to do these things hopefully it will make them know they need to stop being whatever they're doing so that's another group of people so I find it very interesting that and I'm thankful as well that you fell into the group of people who were gracious enough to allow you serve but did you feel that put you on the pressure did you feel like you know on the latter end of the spectrum that it was like they're trying to make you do stuff so that you could then stop you know
1: no, no, as a matter of fact, uh, it didn't feel pressure to me at all because the way that they approached it was just f the only way I can really describe it to you is it was love. It was um it was that truest form of love and hmm. and um and really that's what won me to the cross of Jesus Christ initially mm-hmm. is I mean I know I talked about um, getting over the hurdles of my head and stuff like that. But the people that were in my life that, that um, helped me to fall at Jesus's feet after those hurdles in my head were gone mm-hmm. are the people that truly loved me like mm-hmm. um, that agape love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in this case, it was just that true agape love. I I don't think that there was any other, they weren't trying to pressure me or anything. They were just trying to to give me value and they knew uh, they cared enough about me that they knew that if they did shun me or push me away that um, I would just fall into self pity because you're already, you know, an addict, Mm -hmm. when they relapse, they already are beating themselves up Mm -hmm. because a lot of times we, we see ourselves as worthless in the first place. That's what, causes a lot of these things and so when you relapse Mm. those voices that say oh everybody they're just louder and they know you you hear them just saying yeah they're right you were worthless Mm. and that probably would have made my relapse worse but as it was it because of the love it actually gave me solid footing to want to fight and so my relapses uh from 2001 to 2004 became less and less and less until um until I was clean and then um and then I just uh, then at that point I really started um working on uh what is the root of this what am I trying to numb what Mm. What is the deeper hurt, and uh, as Jesus would say, it's time to put the axe to the root, mm. and uh, and that's what I started working on at that point. Mm. Probably even before I was clean.
0: Yeah. That's really, yeah. really good, and I'm sure somebody who's listening, who may be struggling with that, you know, especially the relapse stage of coming out of addiction, would hopefully be feeling encouraged that if you can do it, they they can definitely do it too. Um, Now, the BBC recently reported that alcohol-related deaths were actually up more than 20% throughout lockdown uh, than the previous year. Um, So clearly it sounds like there is an issue, uh, there are multiple issues coming off of um, COVID, but this is one of the, um, if you like, negative um, results or outcomes, I could call it, um, from COVID. What do you think the church needs to do to be reaching more people who are in the grip of this dangerous addiction because it's a real problem that we're having in society today
1: oh man you, i'm telling you you and your questions you <laughs> you like these tough questions
0: well what did um, i say it's church and box we're tackling the topics right we don't really do much about in church so <laughs> uh,
1: well i love it i love it because i'm i'm very um, out of the bo- i'm a very out of the box thinker Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm going to fall back on, on my foundation of love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, Mm -hmm. strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, we, I don't think we as a organization, and I say organization loosely, the body of Christ, I don't think we can just put things in place. Um, that are gonna impact these numbers. But what we can do is as individual believers in Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. is we can love our neighbors. And in this case, I'm gonna use it as the literal term neighbors. We can love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves and realize that a lot of these people are falling into um, alcoholism and even ending their lives because they're isolated. They are those voices that we talked about that say that they're worthless Mm -hmm. when that's why most people don't like quiet. That's why cities like Nashville, London, um, New York City, they never sleep Mm -hmm. because people are always busy because when we slow down and we're in that quiet space is when those voices scream at us. Mm -hmm. Well, COVID did that. And in some Absolutely. in some families' lives, it was such a blessing because it united them, mm. and it gave them a break from the busyness of life. And in some people's lives, it isolated them, and it allowed those voices to scream, mm. um, and they fell into self medication to try to numb them, and then um, some succumbed to just wanting to get out of
0: it. Mm-hmm. So, the church should just essentially encourage. Um, individuals if you like to be more aware of the people around us and be more intentional about how we care for them that's a big job but at the end of the day that's the golden rule that the the one commandment that Jesus actually gave explicitly so I think that's the answer (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a lot of being deliberate and being intentional to to do that even though it sounds like an easy thing you know somebody to say yes so what does it mean to love you like, literally like the, the the lawyer who asked Jesus the question because it was a lawyer who came to Christ and said what is the golden rule and, and Jesus said what do you know is the golden rule and he said you know love the Lord your God and yes. then the lawyer came back to Jesus and said but who's my neighbor and I feel like people could be going down the route of like, like literally who is the person but it's literally anyone and everyone I guess as you say but I think also being sensitive because I'm quite impressed about what you said earlier that um, you were allowed to serve even though people knew and that's the thing most people don't know a lot of people are struggling with substance abuse in private they'd be sleeping Mm themselves and putting themselves to sleep with alcohol nobody knows that they have an addiction with alcohol and I think as much as we want to love those people and help them through it they may not even be opening up to the fact that they're numbing their you know their depression their anxiety and their Sorrow if you like with alcohol or even drugs and I think that's where the church kind of struggles because you may not know that these things are happening mm-hmm. um and I think it's just a thought on how can we actually even get people to open up because the thing is there's that element of stigma if a person comes to church and says, "Do you know what I'm an alcoholic and I think that's the area where the church sometimes i mean shames people almost and mm-hmm. To a degree if like you were a worship leader they don't know what to do with you anymore you know and I think that's an area where it would be interesting to know what you think about the church being very deliberate about um supporting people when they do have the confidence and the comfort and the vulnerability to open up because I think people will not open up and they'll rather struggle and suffer in silence and use all these substances than actually say hey this is me and this is what I'm struggling with I don't know what you think about that
1: Oh, I, I, I alluded to this in a statement that I made um, talking about price tags we put on sin. Of course, mm. you know, sin to the Lord is just sin. <laughs> mm. um, but in the church, um, you have something that Jesus would probably in today's vernacular um, call a cancer in the church. And that is gossip. Mm. And gossip is just yes. let to go freely. <laughs> Yeah. um
0: and it is a so we
1: don't like any so of in the body in the body of Christ we don't even treat cancer literally yeah, yeah. um with gossip but yet if somebody um falls into alcoholism or drug abuse or lord forbid um even to the point of a sexual uh, an illicit sexual relationship or even an adultery those those price tags on that sin inside of our Uh, social constructs, if you will, in the Mm. church, um, are debilitating. Mm. So here we have some situations where individuals are so hurt and are looking for love in such a desperate way that, um, they're willing to ruin relationships, marriages, you know, just, you can count off and tick it all, Mm -hmm. um, And we'll quickly just discard those because they're messy. They're huge price tags in our eyes. uh, But yet gossip, we will let go freely and it will be a Mm -hmm. cancer that will just eat away. Um, And that's just one example. I mean, you could, you could insert any sin in these Mm -hmm. situations and, and take this uh, ad nauseum. Mm -hmm. But um, I really think that for me, what I have seen as the as a truer form of the church has come to me through a recovery program called Celebrate Recovery. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. There, um, yeah. Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-based recovery program. It was actually formed out of Saddleback Church, so Rick right. Warren's church. Right.
0: Right.
1: Okay. And um, it really resonates with me because my mentor. Uh, in this 2001 to 2004 range, um, he started discipling me through the Book of Matthew. Mm. Um, so he saw Matthew as a discipleship manual, and Celebrate Recovery pretty much sees it the same way. The twelve steps are the Beatitudes, right? And um, and that's where I've seen mirrored in my life, what they do in Celebrate Recovery is when somebody does in the recovery group have a relapse, they don't kick them out. They don't chastise them publicly. They might, you know, talk to them sternly on the side, but in love, mm-hmm. but they get those people back serving within the recovery group. They get mm-hmm. them, they get them active and and moving again because mm-hmm. that gives them value in the kingdom mm-hmm. and can promote healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think if you look at the life of Jesus Christ, Mm. um, he didn't discard anybody. He, he got people up and moving. He would, he would give them the, the statement, go and sin no more. But Mm. he didn't, that didn't mean get out of my sight. You know, Mm, you can't have fellowship or anything like that. It's, uh, you're still part of the group. You're still part of the community. And, um. Let's let's get on with this.
0: Yeah, that's really good. That's a really good answer. I know I don't know that I've heard of Celebrate Recovery in the UK, but I guess off the back of what you have just said, I think the best answer would be for people who might feel uncomfortable opening up in church to look for Christian groups that support people who might be struggling with substance abuse. Because if you're in the midst of people who have a similar you know, challenge and and for some who may have even gone through it and come out victorious, then you feel more comfortable opening up and being transparent. So I think that's a really good answer, um, Jeremy. Um finally, just to kind of wrap it up lovely in a nice way, you've written a book called Falling Down, which tells your story. Um, and I think it would be a very interesting read. So, what would you say to somebody who's desperately wanting to rewrite their story, given that you have the chance to do, uh, to do that yourself?
1: Oh that's that's a good question. Yeah. I would say that um, no matter you you have to break down your barriers of what you want. You have to surrender your will and your kingdom for God's. And you have to you just have to come to a place to where you just trust and know that what God wants for you is good, no matter what society says no matter what anybody else is saying around you, um, that is the only true form of recovery. Mm. Uh, Mm. And so the basic, like like I said, the basis of that would be that you have to trust God so deeply that no matter what society says, no matter what your heart says, Mm. you have to trust him and know that what he wants for you is absolutely good. Mm. and no matter what that is scratch and claw and
0: fight for it Mm. i love that that is really really good i mean there's there's
1: a there's a song um by elevation worship called give me faith Mm. and um the the lyrics are give me faith to trust what you say that you're good and your love is great Mm. i'm broken inside um Mm. i give you my life and And I would say, I would say that that is so poignant that song and the lyrics are so poignant because a lot of us in the church might have faith as, you know, faith to, to get that new job or maybe, you know, wealth or whatever we have wound up
0: things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that God wants to bless us with some things like that sometimes, Mm -hmm. but I want to go deeper in um, give me faith to trust what you say hmm. that, um, that forgiveness is good for me hmm. as well as everybody else that, um, that loving somebody else outside of myself <laughs> is good for me. Give, look, father, give me the faith to trust you when you say these things, because hmm. forgiveness and letting go of my anger and letting vengeance be the Lord's, um, that is, that's not what we see on TV shows. That's yeah. not what we see in movies. That's not what our peers around us would say. Yeah. Um, and I would even say that <laughs> that's not how those actions are played out within the body of Christ that's to some degree. Really um, but it's true. So Father, give me the faith. and And I, and I would encourage somebody that's, that's, on that faith fence, so to speak, um, struggling with some kind of addiction, whether that be, uh, substance abuse or let's, let's talk about a modern day addiction, um, which is drama, uh, which is brought on by, which is brought on by social media. I see people that are making chronic bad decisions because they have, because it releases chemicals, that, that drama releases chemicals. We always have to be in the thick of some kind of, ah, Mm. and, um, and social media is exasperating that. And so, um, are, are you, are you making chronic bad decisions because you're addicted to drama in your life? Mm. Um, father, give me faith to trust what you say. Mm. Mm.
0: That is deep. That is so deep. This is a really um, insightful conversation. And I thank you so much for being very transparent and being open about your story, about your journey, your faith as well. Um, to, to finally wrap things up on a very light note, as live music opportunities are opening up globally, presumably even more open up in Nashville than it is in the UK. What does Neely have lined up for the coming season? it would be interesting to know.
1: Oh, you know what? We for eleven years we traveled relentlessly. Um, we were, if you if you took all of our tour dates in any given year and smushed them together, we were gone from our house with our kids nine to ten months out of the year.
0: Your kids?
1: Yeah, wow. we would take our kids with us everywhere did we went.
0: Homeschool them, or how did it work? Oh,
1: yes. Oh, yes. We would homeschool or road school them, if you will.
0: <laughs> That's an interesting one. Um, That's a new slang, road school. Okay.
1: Yes. And so um, for us right now, we have started, um, we've kind of started doing worship online, if you will. We've started releasing, uh, for instance, Give Me Faith by Elevation Worship. We covered that song and we've released it in video form on YouTube and as well as in audio form across all uh digital distributions. Um we've done goodness of God, how great thou art. Yeah. Um we didn't get to go into that, but for me to be able to do hymns, um, hymns used to trigger me back to that hurt. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. There's immense healing. And so we've done yeah. it as well with my soul, how great yeah. thou art. And so we're really just taking um worship to people where they're at now yeah. instead of traveling. Yeah, which is will awesome. we travel in the future? I I don't know. I don't know. I certainly know that at some point we're going to try to be back in the UK because Uh, we absolutely love it there. We have so many great brothers and sisters in Christ there. And we just, we absolutely love the UK.
0: Uh, Yeah. We'd love to have you back anyway. It'd be great great to to get to meet up if you do come around to the UK. But no, thank you so much, Jeremy. It's been, it's been a really, really interesting conversation and I'm trusting that everyone who's uh, listening is also taking something that's encouraging and, inspiring you've been listening to the church Unboxed podcast with me sarah tabo if you'd like to share your thoughts on today's program please visit the church on facebook group i'd love to hear from you and if you'd like to hear more about what i think about today's topic go and sign up for our email list at www.churchonboxed.net and we'll be in touch